Greetings, Pears, Jorvins, and Retrogrades. Today, for technically the third show in a row, we will be discussing the late Pope Benedict XVI. Now, we have the luxury of no longer using the emeritus term that has confused all of us for the last 10 years. And we're going to get to an aspect of Benedict's pontificate today on Rules for Retrogrades that we didn't get to in the previous two shows, where we were kind of just sorting through his death and prefacing a talk on what is Benedict, Benedict's pontificate's legacy. That's what we'll do today. In just one second, I want to remind all of you now that it's 2023 to like this channel, subscribe, click the notification bell. If you want to support the channel, use Timothy J. Gordon Patreon. We have a heightened set of benefits. Next Wednesday, for all patrons, we have a patrons-only four-week uh, group reading circle, uh, together with, quite frankly, on The Great Divorce by C.S. Lewis. Excellent book. That'll go every Wednesday starting next Wednesday, every Wednesday in January. Also, we'll be giving some free classes this uh, early January or February. We have to schedule those. One will be on how to write your own homeschool curriculum. The other one will be on the Catechism of Trent. I'll explain how to register for those shortly as well. The point is, become a Patreon patron today, Timothy J. Gordon. We do need it. This channel does need it, and I don't talk about it as much as other channels, which are supported by Patreon, because I find it annoying to say, and you find it annoying to hear, but we have to. If you want to just give a donation to me and my family that's unrelated to anything other than we have great needs, seven kids, one of them with multiple brain surgeries and expensive health insurance. You can also do that on timothyjgordon.com through DonorBox. That's a pure donation, though. That's different. As always, go to realestateforlife.org and get out of your blue state. Get to a red state today. 2023 is not too late to do so. realestateforlife.org. There are three dimensions to what I want to do in this hopefully brief show on Benedict because it is the third one. Firstly, I want to just treat of the secular response to Benedict XVI's death. For starters, I would say it is barely concealed disdain. Sometimes not concealed at all. I'll get to that in one minute. Secondly, I want to treat of the mainstream Catholic response to those like Ed Maza and Patrick Coffin and the other Benedictist Pope people after the death of Benedict XVI. I, I want to... I want to deal with that really specifically, because I'm not a Benny Plenist. I have considered the position, and I, I, I still ultimately say this is, this was an interesting theory a couple years back, but it was not borne out. Benedict did not make any revelations before his death, which you would have expected him to. None of this ended up bearing out. I still don't find it impossible. But at the same time, I don't think we ought to be subtweeting, taking secret shots at Patrick Coffin or Ed Maza. No, it's not just because these guys are my friends. It's because there's a real problem with the way public Catholics address each other. There's a right way to do it and a wrong way to do it. And I want to talk about that. The mainstream Catholic response to Benedict XVI's death should not just pile, be to pile on guys like Coffin or Maza who have a, a plausible theory, even if it's ultimately not right. They still have a plausible theory of the case. I don't agree with it. 
But I'm going to talk about how I think we should deal with those other Catholics, fellow Catholics that we disagree with. And thirdly, I want to respond to the question, the, the episode's title, is Samorum Pontificum Benedict's legacy as a pope? Is it his legacy? Because everyone is saying that now. And the question deserves treatment. And that will take me longer than, than point number one or two to deal with on today's show. So I'm also trying to be a little more organized. And instead of just having two or three segments in a show and getting to them when I get to them, I want to try this thing more like a teacher and tell you, here are the three things we're doing in the show. And I'm going to get to them one, two, three in this order. So firstly, the secular response to Benedict XVI's death. This barstool sports scumbag calling himself KFC, big following, said, oh, Nazi Pope is dead. Peace out, you rat fuck. Truly the worst of the worst. And for those of you out there who don't follow me on Twitter, I did. I, I, I generally try to stay out of static on Twitter, but I did not stand down now. I took this guy up on Twitter. And that's not like, oh, based cool, bro, because it's on Twitter, right? This kind of talk is fighting words. This is a holy father of the church. I, I, in my estimation, the best one after the council. And he was a personal hero to me in his early pontificate. And more than that, even if he didn't turn out to be a personal hero to me in the latter half of the pontificate, he is still our holy father. And this rat schmuck calling himself KFC on scummy, sleazy barstool sports, this guy was caught having an affair two days or so before his baby was born and two days after he was with the same concubine. So this guy's waxing poetic and moral about Benedict XVI as a Nazi, false, and as a pedo enabler, almost entirely false. And I don't want some scumbag like this saying something. So I said, why does every barstool sex miscreant apparently hate Christians, the church, and Jesus? Portnoy isn't even a Christian, the guy who runs barstool sports. He's not even Christian. And his philandering commentators like KFC openly mock our heroes and our way of life. Why do Christians support these pathetic fucking losers, is what I said. And, you know, Barstool has been anti-Catholic before. I think Portnoy himself took on uh, Taylor Marshall about some issue or another, and it was really, really disrespectful. I forget what the issue even was. These guys take pot shots at Catholics all the time, so uh, it, was, it made sense to me to get involved. Now, this KFC sleazebag, the guy who cheated on his wife, retweeted me and he said, you've officially tapped into psychotic Christian Twitter, which was sort of like the final frontier for me. These guys are nuts. I feel like I'm in the Da Vinci Code or something fighting against the Vatican. And I responded to that one too, but I try to keep the profanity minimal on this channel. I've already dropped two F-bombs, so I won't say what I said there. But the point is... And we, we got into it. It was a beef. We were going back and forth. Um, the point is, the secular response to Benedict XVI's death was shades of 2005. Uh, we know as a family friend, the movie reviewer for USA Today, who was, was making 
slightly less disrespectful slurs at Benedict to the same effect in 2005. It was everywhere with liberal Hollywood types. Remember, I, I mean, you know, my, my parents are both Angelinos. We grew up around Los Angeles. I was born in Thousand Oaks. So we know a lot of these folks. And uh, uh, Ratzinger was in the HJ, which was mandatory, folks. He was in the Hitler Jugend. It was, it, he hated it. His father hated it. His brother hated it. They got him out as soon as he could. What else? They stood against uh, the Nazis. They the paid for was it. Demoted because of his anti-Nazi stance. Stance. Yeah. Yep. That Ratzinger was not a Nazi. If anything, Ratzinger was a young social liberal, right? I mean, Nazis are socialists, but they're they're a different kind of socialist on cultural issues, and Ratzinger was not that. So you can't say that. Also, of the three popes, I think this is Eric Salmon's point on Twitter, strong point, Ratzinger, JP2, uh, Francis, I, I'm, not, I'm not using their names to, to signify that any of these three weren't popes because I, don't, I, don't, I believe all three of them were popes. He was the strongest. Now, none of them were perfect, and in the post-20th century, when the Soviet Union planted all of these groomers into the priesthood, it's been a real problem. So none of them batted perfect. But Benedict was the closest of the last three popes to dealing with pedos closest to perfect. And he was called like Rome's Rottweiler for so doing. So morons like this, like this uh, filthy sleaze bag, KFC, who... Uh, call our Pope uh, a pedo or a rat Nazi. It's just a bunch of nonsense. And hey, man, I mean, we, we went back and forth. If you, okay, I see if you, if you have a problem with that, I, I, I'm, come on the show or uh, any other suggestion that you have for dealing with this. But that's my Holy Father. You picked the day that he died to take a pot shot. And it's not okay. It's not okay. Unacceptable. I call foul. If this had been done to uh, Jews or Muslims, everyone would be going nuts. And they do it to, I think, arguably the be the best pope after the council. And it's totally okay. This is the secular response to Benedict the Sixteenth's death. Unmasked disdain, barely concealed disdain. KFC didn't conceal it much. It's basically your frat boy's sports outlet. It's like worth half a billion dollars or something like that. It, maybe, maybe I'm wrong. I think it's worth a ton to Portnoy. And so you get a bunch of, you know, philandering or fornicating, uh, inebriated, buck-toothed, idiotic, uh, eventually cousin-marrying frat boys who watch it, they patronize it. So Barstool Sports, among non-Catholic, non-Christian-owned media, let's say that, can get away with more shit talk than the rest of the media, but even the, the more adult non-Christian-owned media in Hollywood, they, they use more gen, slightly more genteel language as a camouflage, but, but this is how they feel. And it's not okay. We defend our Holy Father, particularly to 
to outsiders of the faith. Now, when I get to the third part of today's show, what is Benedict's legacy? I'm addressing Catholics. I'm not going to defend Benedict as reflexively, as muscularly, uh, uh, to a bunch of Catholics who do not hate Benedict, as I do to this filthy sleaze bag uh, who cheated on his wife, KFC. Yeah, just a, just a punchable face, too, between you and me. It's a different context. I mean, look, if I'm playing street ball in my, in my little basketball court here, and some guy walks up and is like, yo, can I ball with you? And he's really good. And then I find out he's a bench rider for the New Orleans Pelicans. I'm going to be like, that's, that's the best dude I've ever played with one-on-one or street ball. I'm going to talk him up, right? But if I see him the next time I go to a Pelicans game, if I'm going later this week, and he gets one minute in the game, I'm like, look at this scrub. That's not me contradicting myself. That is the meaning of context, okay? So context is, Catholic to Catholic, we, we love all our Holy Fathers and pray for all our Holy Fathers, even Francis. So when we're talking Catholic to Catholic, we know we're talking to another lover of the soul of this person. That changes the context. That's why I want to hedge. It's not hedging. It's contextualizing for what I'm going to say about what is Benedict's actual legacy. But yeah, with some outsider, that well, that's like talking about this, this, this NBA baller, seeing him on a kind of absolute wider zoomed out scale. He's really good at basketball. But if I see him in an NBA game, I'm going to be like, look at this scrub. You know, he can't compete. That's super zoomed in. You see? It sounds like opposites. It's not. It's just that's context for you. I'll get to that when I talk about whether or not Samorum Pontificum is the third point, is in fact Benedict's legacy, because people have started saying that, and I do think it's wrong. But the second point is, what is the mainstream Catholic response to Benedict XVI's death? Well, in the first place, I'm not saying anything interesting, the mainstream Catholic response to B16's death is, we mourn this man, we pray for his soul, we want him to go to heaven like we want other people to. In a lot of ways, you'd say, you know, he might be he might be saintly and he has a much better shot than the average cat at the average funeral. I mean, like average man at the average funeral. Cats have no, house cats have no shot at getting into heaven. But, so, I mean, that's, I'm not really saying anything interesting there. That's, that's been the mainstream Catholic response to B-16th's death and it, and it's been really fitting. But the reason it's interesting here in point number two is, there has been a repeated undercurrent. Actually, it's an overtone, not an undercurrent. I've seen it a bit from Matt Fratt, actually, subtweeting the, the, the Benedictus Pope people, taking shots at them without naming them and making it unnecessarily personal. And, I, and here's the thing. I like Patrick Coffin. I like Ed Mazza, very, very gentle men. And I like Matt Frad. Okay, what what uh, Punch with Aquinas said two days ago is, make no bloody mistake about it. It's an act of schism, therefore a grave sin, for a Catholic to deny the papacy of Pope Francis. Now, certain Catholics, no name. I don't get that. Beginning from false premises, but being logically consistent in the wake of the death of Pope Emeritus Benedict XVI, are already said of Aquinas. 
Shame on any Catholic who legitimizes this position, saying that it is within the realm of orthodoxy. St. Anthony of Padua, hammer of heretics, pray for these people. Uh, Patrick Coffin responded just 25 minutes ago saying, Hey, Matt Frad, as one of those certain Catholics, why not debate me on your show in front of your audience rather than blast away with such uh, normie fury at a straw man? It is normie fury. Even if, even if Patrick's wrong and Matt's right, which is ultimately what I believe, don't, don't do the herd thing, the normie fury. I, I do agree with Patrick on that point. Shaming adults who hold different conclusions is disappointing and beneath you. Certainly anti-Thomistic. So I think this is a really reasonable response from Patrick, even as my, but by, you know, what are the odds of this? It's not certainty, but what are the odds? I think Matt's on the right position, on, got the right side. I think Patrick's got the better tweet. And here's the thing. Even saying that, you guys a lot of times really, I'm sorry to say, parish orphans and retrogrades, misunderstand what my rule for retrograde on no fragging, no frag grenading any of our own means. It does not mean you can't say, hey, don't do this, guys, do better. That's not what it means. It doesn't mean that. It means no personal attacks. So here I'm saying, I like Matt, I like Pat. They should debate. And it, it might just be an American thing. Most of Matt's audience is American. So I could say, as, as an American thing, always name the guy you're calling out. The subtweeting is really, it is beneath Matt. And as one of the people that is not a beneplanist, who might be included within the purview of those legitimizers, he's, he's attacking two groups here. The Beneplanists, like Patrick, and then those who have legitimized it, because I have Patrick on the show. I've had Ed Maz on the show. I'll have Ed Maz on the show relatively soon. Uh, it is a legitimate position, and I would point out this seems to be a really unhealthy trend. Um, I've seen it, I'd say, three times. Um, who, when Matt Frad, who I like, good dude, I, he has a lot of integrity. Not, not every public pers- person has a lot of integrity. That's why I'm pointing it out here. Three times I've seen he does something, catches flack for it, which I do know freaks him out, and then makes a ceremonial hand washing later and and doesn't subtweet. The first was when I, I went on a show two different times. He made up by having feminists on after both times I went on a show and allowed them to say some things that he probably shouldn't have because me and Matt are friends. Okay, that's fine. Forgiven. But it was subtweety. It was a back way of doing a ceremonial hand washing to prove to, to, the, to the kind of secular left within the church. The church does have a secular left within it, the Catholic feminists, whatever. Hey, I'm still kind of one of you. So he did it then. Okay, that, that wasn't good. And then he did it again with the same crowd, the Catholic feminists, Catholic, you know, secular, secular left within the church, when he said that women aren't funny, then he, he did a big ceremonial hand washing. He, he made a full kind of non-apology apology by going through and saying, now that's a funny woman. He, he did it for weeks. He's kind of still doing it vis-a-vis uh, Laura Horn. Uh, at least that's not subtweeting anyone, but it's the same kind of energy. It's the same negative energy. 
don't don't do that. And now he's done it, um, I think, in two two statements that really are Patrick Coffin, Ed Mazza, others. Uh, who are the other Beneplanists? I, I, I forget. There's the. Uh... Well, I think specifically it was that he'd hosted the the set of a contest debate. Um, so he's talking about legitimizing the position, but uh, Peter Peter Diamond was on a show. Oh yeah, I forgot. Like four instances. So before he did this, where he's kind of oh this, this well no sorry this is part of the third instance. So he hosted the Peter Diamond debate this past summer, which I don't think he should apologize for. But folks, yeah. folks, lots of the folks that support him and subs uh, or not subsidize him, but but fund his show, were calling for him to you know do the do the public ritual humiliation for having had a set of a contest on who clearly beat in the debate that doesn't mean his position is right uh the clearly inferior on overmatched opponent peter diamond's a sharp cat right instead of a contestism is it's philosophically coherent even if it's wrong we should do a show on the difference between being wrong and being philosophically coherent he destroyed the i, I forget the guy's name the sspx yeah. guy Casman. It was Casman, and again, like I, I thought that was great. I was, I was, I was glad was, that Matt had that show, and I yeah. thought that was that was that was ballsy of him. There it was, was no, ballsy. There was no reason to to back off afterwards when you get heat. Right, and he's still, you know, five six months later, he's still doing what he does. Matt will get bursts of um, ballsiness, and then back off and do the subtweeting, the beta apologies, the unpologies, whatever. And that's, I think, what this is. Now he's still trying to, like, kind of make up for the debate. And there's nothing to make up for in the first place. In this business, keep your apologies in the confessional. Generally, you don't want to. You want to be Teflon Don. You don't want to make apologies for things you've done that were prudential judgments. Never apologize. I've told Matt this. So don't do it. And, and certainly don't sacrifice. Or if you're going to, just, just name Coffin and Mazel and say, hey, I think you guys are wrong. But since he's unclear, Matt Frad, on whether or not it's okay to debate them, maybe he's unclear on whether or not he feels he could prevail in a debate. I don't know. But just say it's not wrong and it's not fragging to say, hey, look, I love you, brother, but here's where I think you're wrong. That's Christian. I'm doing it right now with Matt Frad. I've done it with both Maza and Coffin on my show. Here's where I, why I think you're definitely not over the uh, threshold of persuasion on the Benedictist Pope stuff. Benedict just died, and look, look what happened. There was no confession. I was, the, the little part of me that thought, well, who knows, maybe they're right. I was looking for a confession in a lockbox, a kill switch, something like that. There was nothing. He just died, and now it's just gone. Still doesn't prove that the Benedictist Pope people are wrong, but it makes it more likely. So I would just say the mainstream Catholic response in 2023, we should make it our New Year's resolution to not subtweet. Call people out by name. Be like, hey, I love this guy. I think you're wrong here. Come on my show and discuss. It doesn't have to be a formal debate, Lincoln-Douglas-style debate. But let come on my show and let's discuss it. And the problem why you're not doing that is because that's more direct. It's a little more intimidating. And... Some of the people doing it, as I've mentioned them, I'm not trying to beat up on Matt, who I like, aren't even fully square with whether or not having someone on your show is okay or not because a, half their audience revolts. Half the people that support them 
maybe financially will revolt. So we got to be real clear on it. Directness is the best way. Okay, so I got that out. Now the third and final part of this, which is really what I wanted to do the show on, is, and this was supposed to be a fast show, so I'm kind of running out of time, um, is Samorum Pontificum. Samorum Pontificum cannot be the legacy of Benedict. Here's why. Will you explain what that is real quick? Samorum Pontificum is, is obviously that which made that document in 2007. These people, I think, get it, but it's the document that Benedict gave the Latin Mass back to the faithful with. It was on the books for 14 years. A legacy is probably more necessary to define um, in seven. A legacy is probably the more important definition because uh, a legacy means it's going forward, it will be unabated. This desideratum of a pontificate, a presidency, a uh, a player who played point guard in the NBA for 20 years or something, will go forward and be untouched. That's specifically what a legacy means. Uh, Samorum Pontificum cannot be Benedict's legacy, people. I, I think I heard Michael Knowles say this. I, I love I love Michael. Um, really, great dude. I'm glad he's a, he's a mainstream Latin Mass Catholic. But Samorum Pontificum, I disagree, is not his legacy. It would have been if Francis wouldn't have disempowered it. Francis undid Samorum Pontificum. It was on the books for 14 years, from 2007 to 2021. It's summer of 2021, and then Francis undid it. Why was Francis able to undo it? Well, this is where Benedict's retirement comes into play. He retired knowing, knowing with not substantial certitude, but something close to like high likeliness, because of what happened in the 2005 conclave, who would replace him? Don't say it's a Holy Spirit thing, because yes, Holy Spirit's always with these guys. He knew who would likely replace him. The second place runner-up at the 2005 conclave. He knew this guy, and the interest that this guy, Francis, represents, hates the Latin Mass. This cannot be Benedict's legacy simply because he didn't get it done. I mean, he got it done for 14 years, and that's not what a legacy is. It was especially cruel of Francis to have undone Samorum Pontificum and the Latin Mass reform of the reform while Benedict still lived. Why didn't he wait until now to do it? So I say there's there's a paradigmatic impasse. I was saying this to my friend by text. Between someone like me who... Still loves Benedict, but was he was a big hero to me the first three years of his pontificate, but then I felt really, really abandoned, like an abandoned, a parish orphan. Benedict made me think I'm a parish orphan. He left us to this abusive stepfather. So there's an impasse of paradigm between me, my view on this, and someone like my friend who I was discussing uh, in text. What is Their paradigm is, okay, why, how can we find the silver lining in Benedict's pontificate? And they'll say things like, well, you know, what Benedict did might in some really indirect way yield fruit later, even though basically all the good Benedict did was undone by Francis through the retirement. 
And they're like, look, if your paradigm is saying the most positive things about Benedict, then that's a good thing to hope. But I say when you have plenary power as Pope, you can save the liturgy. Get rid of the Novus Ordo forever. That is not drastic. That was within his power. He chose to do it this way. We could have it now. If he would have just gotten rid of the Novus Ordo, it would have been much harder for Francis to undo Benedict's undoing. He chose not to do that. He chose to go slowly. He chose to reform the reform slowly. And then worse than that, and I think his real legacy is not a positive thing, so get ready. His real legacy is the retirement. It alters the pontificate going forward. And it, it enabled the next guy, Francis, to alter all the good that Benedict had done going forward. And my friend, you know, so it's the paradigm what a good pope does with plenary power. That's what I say it is. I compare Benedict to what Benedict could have done. He could have changed things for a small price. Abruptly taking the Novus Ordo away from baby boomers. Not a big price. His paradigm is something like silver linings from within the framework of blown opportunities and constant defeat of the faithful by infiltrators. And, and you know, I think a hopeful, possible way of looking at Benedict now is by saying, yo, um, well, he, he, there are all these priests that went through seminary. I, I know some of them. I'm lucky enough to know some of them that I'm friends with. They went through seminary under Benedict, so they're really well-trained. They know the Latin Mass. That's his legacy, isn't it? Yes and no. These, these guys are the faithful pilgrims in an unholy land that Benedict could have made a holy land again, the church. It's still an unholy land over the last hundred years. Benedict could have made them the norm instead of these outliers. He might have made them more numerous, but he, made, he didn't make them the norm. In a church which might have embraced them instead of spurning them. Now the church spurns them again. Benedict could have had a lot more aggressive reform of the reform. And furthermore... Uh, to add to the point that some more pontificum can't be a legacy when Francis reversed it within 15 years. That's why Francis, Francis is Benedict's legacy. Unfortunately, he has the legacy of a blocked wish, the reform of the reform. It's blocked. Uh, 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 in sports, a comeback ain't a comeback unless it's perfected. If you come back from 25 down in a basketball game and you get it to you're down by one, then you miss the last bucket, your only legacy is defeat. And that might have been what Fran what Benedict did. I don't even think he got us within one. He got us, we we're down 25. He might have got us back with down within 10. But it's not even that stark. And so the best way to say it is, yes, there are all these Samoran Pontificum priests out there that learned the Mass, the TLM, but the legacy is now they have basically useless knowledge. Because they're not going to be allowed to do it once Francis muscles up Judeus Custodis a little bit more. You see? So that, that's not a legacy. Strictly speaking, the legacy would be what he did that's lasting. The reform of the re reform is undone, and Francis sounds like he's going to go a little far and make things even worse than they were before summer of 2007 when he gave us Samorum Pontificum. This is going to be worse than it was before for, for traditionalists according to what it looks like, the whisperings out of Rome on the synod 
the Synod on Synodality. Francis just tried to appoint Heiner Vilmer as CDF. It seems to have been blocked by cardinals. We don't have a good story on that. I'm waiting for a good story to do a show on it. Francis is aggressive. He's going to make things worse for traditionalists than they were in 2006, in 1996, in 1986, in 1976. Francis is more aggressive than Pope Paul VI as a leftist. So no, I can't see some more on pontificum as a lasting legacy because it's not. It's undone. It's nullified. It's diswired. It's broken. I still love Benedict XVI and will defend him to these pigs who talk trash in the media, and I'm still going back and forth with this guy. And you should too. But when we're talking Catholic to Catholic, we know we love him. So that's why context matters. And we're talking Catholic to Catholic, you know I love Matt Frad. You know I love Pat Coffin. I think these guys do a lot of good work. It's annoying to see subtweeting. Resolution 2023, let's not do it. Des Volt Parish Orphans and Retrogrades. I love you guys. Stay strong. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women, and blessed is the fruit.